If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts. Maybe you want to learn to make your own Twitch channel or podcast and outclass the competition? Well, that sounds pretty good. You can come to Murdoch University. The skills that you learn here in creative degrees such as game, sound, film and journalism will put you in a class of your own. So have a look at murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to learn more about what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts broadly supporting Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome. My name is Fiona and welcome to Pixel Sift, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and around the world. I'm on this side of the desk today. It's pretty excited, uh, exciting. And joining me today on the show is our executive producer, Gianni. Thanks for joining me. You're doing a great job, Fiona. We're very <laughs> proud to have you at the helm. Thank Couldn't you. Couldn't have anyone better there. <laughs> now, our guest tonight is Katie Steggs from Lumi Interactive. Hey, Katie, how are you going? Hi, I'm great, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. No worries. So Katie is joining us to talk about Lumi's very first game, Critter Clash. But first of all, Gianni, what else are we talking about tonight? Well, Fiona, I don't know if you've been on the internet lately. It's generally not recommended, but everyone over the last week or so has been seesawing back and forth on whether or not games need an easy mode. We're going to jump right into the middle of that and talk all about that discussion there. All right, let's get started. Mitch, what's Discord? Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. I love that promo. Every time so I hear it, it brings a <laughs> smile to my face. Now, the question that everyone is asking if you've been online recently uh, is, are games too hard? Well, a lot of people had that thought when Sekiro Shadows Die Twice came out. It's from, from software. They're known for their difficult games, and it's prompted a lot of back and forth online, uh, and there have been think pieces galore. So the question is, should all games have an easy mode? We put that question out this week to the Pixel Sift community. There have been some common threads here and there, but if you're watching on one of our live platforms, you can drop us a comment here and tell us what you think. Do you think that all games should have an easy mode? Katie, I'm going to throw straight to you. Do you think all games should have an easy mode? 
I don't have a straightforward answer, unfortunately, because I think it depends a lot on a few different factors. I'll start with from the game side of things, from the, the actual players. I feel that there is a huge nostalgia factor and a huge love of the idea of mastering something, and that's really, really important to satisfaction for the player. But I think that there's a lot of undue sort of hate and anger towards the idea of an easy mode, which I think is really unfairly placed. And I kind of liken it to these gamers almost like having a block of chocolate in the fridge or in the cupboard and the temptation's too great. Like they, if it's there, they're going to eat it. And that's the easy mode, right? Like they don't like the fact that, oh, the easy mode's an option. If it's there, I might take it, you know, like I can't, it's too much temptation. And I just think there's no problem with having the chocolate in the cupboard. It's just about you not eating the chocolate if that's what you want to do, you know. <laughs> Us chocolate eaters, we can take it out, take a bite, yeah. and that's fine. We love our chocolate. But yeah, it's all about like, moder- moderation, isn't it? Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's, the only way to you- um, there's some then- ga- Sorry, I interrupted. Please continue. <laughs> Please jump in. I was going to say, um, it was uh, a lot of the games I grew up with did have easy modes, and it was good for my family, especially because I have two older sisters. So they would play on the normal mode or the, just the general difficulty, and that was too difficult for me. So I would play on the easy mode, and that's where I couldn't kind of stood until I worked my way up to say, Oh, this is too easy. Let's jump higher. So that's something that. I grew up with, but now I normally just go with the normal mode and I don't bother with the easy because I find it too easy because I've grown out of it. It's really interesting. We were asking people on on all the channels recently and Ban Ridor on Discord says that personally uh, I'll never play a game on easy mode if it has it. However, I think it is necessary for people venturing into a game type or genre that they don't usually play. Um, they believe it could turn someone off if they just want to jump into an RPG or something like that for the first time. But if the difficulty is so hard, they get that immediate negative feeling. Um, that's just how it is. And there's certain situations where people can't complete a level and if they put it on easy and get through it, that's perfect for them. What do you think about that, Katie? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's also an interesting thing to have the idea of practice come into it because if you as if you have an easy mode and you get to know the environment, a lot of this these kind of master games like Dark Souls and things like that, they do require repeated you know attempts at the thing. And I think it's just another form of that really. If you are wanting to play at that higher level at that that really really hard way, it's also a way that you can. It's a way that as a hard player you can sort of learn your environment and repeat the the steps incrementally to pass whatever your goal is. But for players who don't necessarily who don't necessarily want to or maybe can't because they don't like feel like they have an, a good affinity with those kinds of motor skills, I think it's still important that they be able to take part, especially when things like story come into it and they're really invested in the story. Like to diverge slightly, I remember one of the only hard video games, I think hard video games that I've ever really gotten through was Ori and the Blind Forest. And that game for me I, it was so difficult. It really took me a lot of attempts, like an embarrassing amount of attempts to get past a lot of the levels in that game. But what drove me is the story. And I loved that story so much. I would have been devastated to not be able to sort of see it to completion. And there were points in that game where I had to get other people, other players to take over from me and complete like the owl level and stuff like that. I just couldn't get through. And I would have really appreciated being able to do that on my own if I was playing at home, you know. So I can see both sides really. I guess, 
Stephen Spawn from, um, he's the CEO of uh, Able Gamers, an organisation that focuses on making games more accessible for players with disability. He pitched in as well and said, easy is subjective. What is easy for me might not be easy for someone else. So that's that's a good point. Like, especially like I was saying before, my siblings found things way easier than I did. But then, like, for example, my friend and I, we really like uh, rhythm games. And I'll, I find, like, the hard level, like, perfect for me, but she'll stick to the normal or the easy because it's just a bit too much for her. It really just depends on you as a player and what you want to do and how much you learn. It's really interesting. Terry Kavanagh, uh, who's the developer of... It's Veni Vidi Vici, but it's like VVVVVV, um, says uh, on Twitter that it feels like a, from my Twitter feed at least, a lot of people kind of combine easy modes with accessibility options. They're not the same things according to Terry. And it seems super obvious that when you state it like that, but as a designer of action games, it's very easy to get them confused. I've done it and I regret it. And not every game needs to have an easy mode, but every game can have accessibility options. And uh, Terry says, when I added uh, full accessibility options to V. Uh, VVVVV, you could reduce the game's speed, turn off screen shake and effects and freely lock or unlock content and even make yourself invincible. And Terry says, I'm really glad I did this. I just don't believe it's ever hurt the game. A brutally hard retro-inspired game to have all these options. If someone beats it at 50% speed with invincibility turned on, that's fantastic. It's still a great moment for that player. And it's no bearing on whether or not another player who does the same challenge with the default options. I honestly could not have put that better myself is terry did terry comment that for this or was that a comment that terry had made about this whole thing uh, it was a twitter thread that terry had kind of put out there after seeing it sort of happening on that's, on twitter yeah that's awesome that's like that was one of my key points as well is that equating accessibility with easiness is actually i think super insulting for people who maybe want that accessibility for a variety of reasons and like yeah easiness and 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 things like that doesn't mean yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean things like adding colorblind mode or making more accessible controllers or, you know, exactly the things that he's just said there. And I think, um, yeah, they're kind of different categories that people seem to be conflating. But from a game design point of view, I totally agree. You can make things more accessible quite easily without changing the core experience or the, the artistic vision of the game. And that's something um, uh, Steve Spon also said about it said um, people, influential people, journalists and media outlets, they're tending to interchange the terms easy, uh, easy mode and accessibility where ex- accessibility means option, not necessarily easy gameplay. Because, for example, someone who might have a disability, they want a normal difficulty game like us and they may be like way better than us. They just need that extra... Um, accessibility like a, options to be able to like play. Like a remappable keyboard yeah. and stuff. Sometimes that's just as simple as remapping the keys or, or changing for a different controller input and something like that and allows many different things. You can see people playing with really interesting controllers and Katie, you probably be able to talk to this as well, but like stuff that Bar SK does, for example, where they have all about doing these different interaction modes and they're not a, they're not better or worse. They're just a different way of doing it. It's a different way to kind of explore the way of interacting with games. That's Louis' whole shtick. He's all about the one-button experience because obviously what he does is in a very different space being a bar, so it has to be really accessible for people who just walk in off the street and want to pick up and play and don't necessarily have that background knowledge about what is this, like what is the controller like that's really inaccessible in and of itself unless you identify as a gamer or play games. So, yeah, he's always experimenting with that. I think it's really interesting. Um, 
Ninjeska on Twitter said in relation to the whether a game should have an easy mode, it said, uh, Ninjeska says, in relation to that recent discussions in the game space about accessibility, to be honest, that easy mode argument around it's quite reductive in Ninjeska's opinion. Um, it's entirely feasible for game types to include features and options that accommodate different ability levels or play styles. And it's currently not uncommon for games to package certain changes as being an easy mode to some effect, but that's not the only way to do it. And um, Corey, and I always want to say Balrog, but it's um, Barlog from Sony Santa Monica says, accessibility has never and will never be a compromise to my vision. So obviously uh, of Sony Santa Monica did the most recent God of War game. Uh, to me, accessibility does not exist in uh, contradistinction to anyone's creative vision, but rather it's an essential aspect of any experience you wish to be enjoyed by the greatest number of humans possible. Katie, I'm, I'm curious as well. When you when Lumi was a consulting and PR company, what sort of conversations would you have to people around this sort of accessibility, but also making it easy for new players of different ability levels to, to get on board? Uh, well, well, that's a difficult question. I don't, I'm not sure I have a good answer. I think usually, so we're quite, we'd work with people quite early on in the development process. Well, relatively early, you know, at least a year, six months before launch or something. So we did have the chance to see those early builds and give feedback on what was and wasn't inclusive language, what may or may not have been accessible to bring up some things that maybe um, you know, maybe hadn't been considered before. And, and we'd always try and do that because we encourage sort of encourage accessibility really. <laughs> um, and I think that can be communicated in a variety of ways as well through things like tutorials and the game's PR and marketing itself. Like if you go out and you say, hey, this is playable in these like these types of ways, um, that would and that was true, then that would be something that we want to let people know because obviously that broadens your, your market appeal. Um, sort of yeah, I guess that's that's my answer. I'm not sure if I fully understood the question there. <laughs> well, I guess uh, we're talking about different people's games, but now you've made a game. What did you think about when the game was being made, about having the most amount of people being able to enjoy it? Oh, that's still such a work in progress. My God. Okay, making video games is really hard. I take back everything I just said. Like, ignore everything. <laughs> I'm a sage in first. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's – it's really, really important to me and something that we always do is test. So it's like we go out and we test and sub-segment and look at how other players actually enjoying or getting through these points of the game, like where are they getting stuck? Are they, you know, what? how is our language being interpreted? And that means like multiple languages. That also means the phrasing that we use, like how simple, how complicated, how gamey is it? Um, and then, of course, with, you know, touch design and things like that, you've got the haptics and the actual feel of the game, like how does the players like how how does the ui and the ux of the game um intuitively tell the player what needs to be done you know what kind of visual cues and and haptic cues are you giving that player so those are all the types of things that we're trying to consistently improve on and consider when making these kinds of games i think that's it's a, a good question. point for us to move into the next part of tonight's show which is chatting to you more about your new game critter clash Let's get to it. <laughs> yes, we made a game and we shipped a game. <laughs> I can't actually believe it. Yeah. Cool. We'll be there in a second. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. So tonight joining us is Katie Steggs, Marketing Director from Lumi Interactive, here to tell us more about their new game, 
Critter Clash. So people who might not have heard about it, could you give us a little bit of a summary of what it is? I like to call it a battle in the, t- the treetops. So it's a jungle battle PvP game for mobile where you play as a, like a group. You make it basically build a team of animals and then you use slingshot mechanics to try and pelt down your opponent um, who was also hanging out on the branches of an opposing tree. And so you have really cute little critters, all different types of animals, and every one of them has a different attack. They're quite strange, some of them. For example, we have Hammy who throws a poison uh, mushroom. We have an elephant throwing a boomerang. We have a fox throwing uh, fire, you know, and a rat with an electric guitar that can, you know, attack the other the other critters on the tree. And the idea is that you want to knock their critters out of the tree before they knock yours out. I started, I downloaded the game earlier this afternoon and I've just been playing it. I can already tell that I'm going to get addicted to it. It's so much fun. Um, it's so much fun. I love it. <laughs> so um, what you said how like each of the animals have different little abilities. How did you decide which ability went with what animal? Honestly, it's like, it's really, it's really due to our development team. I would say like, I didn't have any say over what actual attacks are coming out of those animals. They were all decided like with the development, it's the design of the game moved on. We really just talked about like, Hey, does this make sense? And like, how, how does this read to our audience for the Western market that we're actually, you know, making it for? So yeah, I didn't really have any say over that, but I just thought it was really cute. (laughs) (laughs) They are super cute. So also, um, Lumi Interactive, most people will know you guys from as a marketing PR consulting company and you're helping you were helping people with their games. Why did you decide to change into actually making your own game? Yeah, well, um a variety of reasons. So uh, we started, Lauren and I started Looming Consulting back in 2012 um, and we had been doing it for six or seven years and we really loved what we were doing. We got to travel the world, we spoke at conferences, we preached the good word of marketing and PR all over the world and we, I think we were able to help quite a lot of the local and international independent games market um, doing that. But over time, I guess it really became difficult to grow and difficult to sustain what we were doing. And Lauren and I aren't really people that are going to sit back and be like, hey, this is just kind of working and not really working as a business anymore. And so at the beginning of 2017, we actually started thinking about what our next move was going to be, whether we were going to do another company or what we were going to do. And it took us an entire year to figure out what that was going to be. Um, And at the start of 2018, we actually uh, formed a new company uh, called Lumi Interactive and got a third director whose name is Christina Chen. And we started looking at how can we bring uh, like Asian developed games to a Western market. Christina has, um, for your information, if you don't know, she has a background at PopCat. She was the senior producer there. She worked on Zuma Blitz and Plants vs. Zombies. Then she worked at Microsoft and she was also one of the co-founders of Surprise Attack Publishing back in the day. And now she's our co-founder as well as the co-founder of Second Sight Data Analytics. So she's an extremely accomplished woman and she was just the kind of third party that we wanted to involve with her technical background and our marketing know-how. I think it's a really good combination in terms of actually knowing, you know, not only how to run the business side of it, which is incredibly important, but also what the market actually wants and where the trends are. So, um, yeah, once we had gotten together, we started looking for you know, possible collaborators and we found Jump Games, which are Shanghai-based developers, and they had the kind of like very beginnings of this game um, 
Critter Clash and we thought, yep, this is a really great, has a lot of potential, it needs a lot of work. Like it was really, um, yeah, it really needed a lot of work, a lot of redesigning. Yeah, really bare bones. So we basically stripped it back to just the core mechanics and used uh, quite like technical data analysis to re-add in and alter the very structure of that game to what you see today. So, um, yeah, that's how we got started. <laughs> well, that's a pretty, uh, I mean, your co-founder sounds like a, a pretty strong pedigree to jump into this space. Um, where, where does Lumi kind of sit in that? Because obviously you've partnered up with another company there to sort of help with the development of the game as well. Like where, where does it kind of sit? Are you a publisher or a like a label like Surprise Attack? How does it, how does it all work? We're not exactly a publisher. Actually, I'd say we're not a publisher. We're more like a collaborative development studio. So we do things like virality design, marketability. We say like what events are going the game, what characters are going the game. We optimize the game. So we go, how is this functioning? How does our market actually like this game? Um, And we change it according to focus groups and testing and talking to our players and seeing what they actually want and things like that. And we can actually fully run and optimize like functionally run that game because it's a live operations game, online Mm. PvP. Um, Whereas the development side, they do all the programming and they do some of the more technical design like, you know, um, economy balancing and things like that. So we're a lot more involved, especially creatively creatively than a traditional publisher. And, um, but we're not, you know, we're not diving in and having our own in-house programmers. We have things like our in-house data scientists. We have a UI, UX designer, an artist, a producer, a marketing director, user acquisition manager, CEO, and um, QA and things like that. Um, but we get very heavily involved in the actual product of the game. So thanks for watching Pixel Sift. If you're just joining us on one of our live platforms uh, we have Twitch, Facebook, and everything else. We're talking to Katie Steggs from Lumi Interactive about Critter Clash. So this game only actually came out last week. What has the reception been like so far? The reception has been really, really good. Actually, we were able to get over 600,000 people signing up before launch. So we were really, really lucky. About midway through last year, we got accepted into the Start on Android program. We're actually one of only six Australian studios to be accepted into that program. And Google really, really, really helped us to um, be able to understand, like, how do we actually ship a game for the first time? And, like, how do we get users and things like that? So we were able to run a pre-registration campaign that was a combination of marketing effort, PR, our outreach, reaching out to players, a small bit of paid user acquisition, and also just like spreading the word about the game. So people were obviously really, really excited about that and signed up before. So when we launched, we had the benefit of having those users who had um, signed up actually downloading the game. So the response has been really, really good so far. I'm super excited to grow it. I think like the community is so cute. We get the cutest fan art. We have this one fan. He's so cute. His name's Saber. And he like messaged us the other day on the Discord channel and was like, oh, is it okay if I show you something? I was like, yeah, of course. Like, show us what is it? And he had made a saber-toothed tiger critter and like had outlined like exactly what the weapon was going to be and all its stats. And it was so sweet. And like I actually wanted to cry. I was just like, oh, Oh, it was so cute. (laughs) we have the best best fans i love them so much that sounds so amazing now but one thing that's really kind of was curious for me i'm just wondering is the move from consulting into this sort of collaborative studio model is that part of the misconception misconceptions of what pr and consulting sort of was in your previous role do you do that because you're like okay this is what we really meant to do and here's how we would do it 
Yes, exactly. It was one of the biggest frustration points for me being like, I understand exactly how important this is and I can give you advice, but I can't do it for you. You know what I mean? Like it, I, I think by doing this, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, what we're running is a business. We want to be an employer and we want to make great entertainment for everyone. And we can only do that with real, like, you know, data, business background, marketing knowledge, understanding of the customer, number one, understanding of the player. And I just don't see a lot of that coming first and, you know, in many examples that I've worked with before. And I just thought, I'm a creative person. Like, what would it be like if we came from a non-traditional background and tried to do this ourselves? What would that look like? And that was really, you know, really something that I wanted to try that Lauren wanted to try and Christina wanted to try. And like, we have such a, we basically moving forward, we'd really like to make games that are fun and full of laughter, but also community centered and customization centered, like things that are for the players, really, really for the players, like bring a little moment of joy to them. Um, And I see just a lot of the same old kind of stuff coming out and I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't, what does it look like if, you know, three women do a mobile studio and make games for mothers and pregnant people and little, you know, little like little girls and diverse people? Like I want to make those games. I want to see what happens with that. So with all of that in mind, what were some of the biggest challenges when making your own game? It. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, the biggest challenge has been... Um, probably understanding user like getting to understand how do you best lay out all of the information so our game is really quite complicated it's easy to pick up and play for a casual player you know you've got the slingshot mechanics very reminiscent of angry birds there so it's really easy to just like sling an animal and try and knock them down but if you want to go into the actual um you know, the actual meat of the game, there's a lot of different strategies. So you have like the lower animals on the branches do higher damage but have lower health. Top animals have higher health, so it's better to put your defense animals up there. Some defense animals you might want to put in the front line and you can you can do a lot with the actual strategy of the game and there's also upgrading in animals. So what I'm getting at is there's a lot of information to convey to players and it's really important that you pace that information carefully and at the right moment so that they understand all of the potential mechanics of the game and also the basic mechanics of the game. So that was the most difficult thing for me. It's actually quite so mind-boggling. Were people kind of bouncing off because you weren't presenting the information correctly? And, like, we did a six-month soft launch period to figure out, like, what, you know, what are those sticking points and I don't think it's perfect but I think it's really, like, functional and good. So, yeah. so, so the game's not finished. It's still obviously ongoing. What are sort of the next steps for it? Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's like a live community. Um, the next steps are really growing the community and, like, we really want to implement a clan system. I'm very excited to do an Easter event. Oops, maybe I shouldn't have said that yet. We're thinking of doing an Easter event, so I'm designing that at the moment. Um, and we'd really like to get some form of customization into it as well so that players can like decorate their base and have it reflective of their own like achievements and things that they like in the game. And of course, adding new characters along the way, maybe some new locations and things like that. So I'm really excited. Like it's, you know, it's, it's fun to be able to work on something that's alive and it's, you know, it's always changing and that keeps it fresh and exciting, I think, for the players and for us. And just to wrap up, will you ever move back into the just pure consulting model again or is this much more a rewarding way to work? Are you enjoying this more? 
This is actually a completely new business. We have officially closed Lumi Consulting, so it's no longer, it's actually a completely different entity. So I would have to go back and start a new business all over again. And at the moment, I'm really focused on creating entertainment in a way that's new and fresh. So probably not. <laughs> that's awesome. I look forward to playing the game some more. I'll probably I'll spend tonight doing that, knowing me. So it's uh, available. Hey, we'll together. <laughs> yeah, we, we should. That would be so much fun. So it's uh, available now on Android, and you can check out their website at uh, www.critterclashgame.com, or you can head on over to Twitter, and they're at, at CritterClash. So thank you very much for joining us tonight, Katie. It was great to hear more about your new game. Thanks for having me. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Pixel Sift. Thank you to Katie from Lumi Interactive for spending some time with us here. This, this episode has been hosted by myself and Gianni. Thanks for joining me tonight, Gianni. You smashed it, Fiona. I'm so proud. Nailed it. <laughs> and it was also produced by Mitch Lowe and Scott Quigg, and our executive producer is once again Gianni Di Giovanni. So he wouldn't have been able to be here to make 118 episodes of Pixel Sift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University. So you can check them out um, and tell them we sent you. If you're keen to learn more about a great creative degree, you can head over to murdoch.edu.arts. No, sorry, murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. Um, And then as always, with every episode, we'll be sticking the links to the topics that we talked about tonight on our website, www.pixelsif.com.au. So Gianni, where else? You can come join us on Discord. Uh, Katie's in there, so you can ask questions about Critter Clash, maybe send in some fan art if you love it. Um, <laughs> you can go to, uh, obviously, the Critter Clash Discord as well. Maybe Katie can drop a link into that for the episode as well. Um, and that's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. Share all of your creative work. We love talking about that and also get in on, on the topics that we talk about on each and every episode. And if you like what we do, please tell a friend because we don't pay to advertise and we rely on that word of mouth for people to find the show. Yeah, and then our next episode will be next week, which is the 18th of April. We're doing a cool little back-to-back episodes here, and we'll be talking to Neil Renison from Tin Man Games about their game Table of Tales. So that's all for this week. Thanks for joining me on Pixel Sift, all of us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. See ya. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 